Good morning. Um, I'll be reading Psalms 88. Lord, God of my salvation, day and night I cry out to you. May, I, may my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayers come before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and in, in despair. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. My closest friend is darkness. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Get ready for some sobering news. According to the CDC's weekly morbidity and mortality report, in the last half of 2020 and the first few months of this year, the percentage of adults in the U.S., reporting recent symptoms of a depressive or anxiety disorder increased to 41.5%. And in the months just before that study, the summer of 2020, the CDC reported that about one in four young adults, that's their term for people 18 through 24 years of age, had seriously considered suicide in the previous 30 days. Statistics. Given the dates of those statistics, 2020 and 21, we might be inclined to label that troubling news as a direct result of the pandemic. But that would be a simplistic mistake. For the past several weeks, we here at Central West End have been hearing God's word on what it means to pray our emotions through the Psalms, that big, long book in the middle of the Bible. This morning, we are considering Psalm 88. You heard Joel read most of it. It is widely regarded as the bleakest, darkest Psalm in the entire Bible because it is a very accurate expression of a condition we call 
depression. I believe most people would say they know what grief is or shame or anger or anxiety. But if you've never been depressed, or, or maybe even if you have, you might find it very difficult to exactly explain what it means to be depressed. The first thing to understand is that depression is a mental illness. It isn't simply a feeling, and there's not just one cause. The American Psychiatric Association identifies several types of depression. Some are related to circumstances, so we might be right that some of those increasingly troubling numbers are related to the pandemic. Sometimes people can begin to be depressed after a crisis or during a prolonged period of extreme stress. But some types of depression persist despite circumstances. Even when life looks happy, people can suffer profound depression. Depression is not one feeling, it is many feelings. The composer of Psalm 88 describes his depression in these words, overwhelmed with troubles, without strength, in the darkest depths, actually he says close to death a number of times, confined without escape. One translation says shut up and can't go out. I thought, boy, <laughs> do we get that? <laughs> Destroyed by terrors, rejected, even terrorized by God. And then he says, darkness, my only friend. Whatever it's presenting face, though, those may not be the symptoms of depression that you have known or observed. But whatever it's presenting face, depression can have devastating and even fatal consequences. Because depression affects everything about a person. Sleeping. Eating, moving, thinking, even your being. That's why suicide is all too frequently the end of depression. Depression hurts like nothing else. It hurts like something you can't quite remember or something you can't seem to forget. It hurts like a heavy weight at the end of a really hard day. It hurts like a gray cloud over yet another morning. Other emotions, like grief, for example, can seem ennobling. Think of how we, we regard those who have lost loved ones in, in a tragedy like 9-11 or in the Afghan war or some other horrible tragedy. Think how we regard the, those who have lost loved ones in those tragedies. There's something noble about the awful reality of grieving. And even something like anxiety, when we consider a person who is anxious, we say, well, at least you care enough to be anxious about something. The problem is when grief or despair or anxiety or fear or disappointment takes root in a heart, then inertia and Bitterness and apathy can set in. And sadness settles down on top of that like the dust of ages. And depression moves in to stay. 
Whereas we regard some emotions as arising from a heart of caring, and we think of some emotions even as, as almost excessive caring, depression feels from the inside, and it looks from the outside like not caring at all. And so depression taxes our patience, taxes the patience of the person who is depressed, and taxes the patience of the persons in their lives. We live in instaculture. I don't think that's a phrase I've heard from someone else. I believe I actually coined that, so feel free to use it. Instaculture. And what I mean by that is, you know, people tweet a couple of words and think they have resolved dilemmas that were centuries in the making. People post a couple pictures, put a little caption out, and it's like, no more needs to be said or done, no soul searching, it's over, snap out of it. But what about when I can't snap out of it? Why can't I snap out of it? And if I'm a Christian, why am I feeling like this to begin with? Wow, that's a question. If I'm ill, why doesn't God heal me? If he loves me, why am I feeling this way? If you've never had those questions, take it from me, I have. They are worth asking. But the sad reality of life this side of heaven is we don't know all the answers. What I can tell you, the good news is that we have some light on the darkness. And here it begins. When the time was nearing for Jesus' crucifixion, he told his disciples what was going to happen to him and to them. He said, persecution, ostracism, torture, and death. I cannot imagine how they began to feel. Terrified, probably. Maybe a little bit angry. Hopeless. Helpless. A perfect foundation for the beginning of depression. And of course, Jesus knew how they felt. In fact, his first words to them after he makes that announcement confirms it. Jesus says, the very first thing he says is, in this world you will have trouble. The writer of Psalm 88 knew that, and I suspect you and I know I know that too. But notice how Jesus continues in his response to the disciples' emotions. He doesn't criticize them for how they're feeling. He doesn't condemn them for not praying enough or having enough faith. He doesn't start to nag them for not going to synagogue enough or giving enough to the poor. He just affirms that trouble, hard times, losses, failures, languishing, is a part of life. It's almost as if Jesus says depression is a side effect of living. Depression isn't, listen to this, depression isn't punishment for something you've done wrong. May you be living the consequences of your actions, yes, but depression is not a punishment for your sins. It's not a test of your faith either. It's not a sign of spiritual weakness. Anyone can have depression, can be depressed. And as much as some Christians, and I have known some, want to deny it, you can be a person of strong faith, but suffer depression and suffer it for a long time. 
I'm here to tell you. For our mental and spiritual health, it's important that we understand the truth. God wants us to know that he knows that depression is just a part of the range of human emotions. That's why Psalm 88, the whole book of Job, and certainly the suffering of Jesus, why those are in the Bible. You know, I'm actually encouraged when I realize that even after the writer of Psalm 88 prays passionately, he ends in darkness. It's the last word in the song in Hebrew. Darkness, the last word in the song. No uptick. Because my prayers don't always get answers right away either. I don't always finish praying with a big old smile on my face. And think about it. Jesus himself prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, please take this suffering from me. But God the Father turned away silent. When depression dampens your enthusiasm for prayer and you don't feel like being religious, remember the Word of God. Psalm 88 is a reminder that even when we have faith, we might feel just as bad at the end of our prayers as we did at the beginning. God put Psalm 88 in the Bible to tell us that he knows how it feels to be depressed. But frankly, when I'm depressed, it doesn't get me out of the hole to know that God knows how I feel. I'm just being honest with you. That's nice. I appreciate it, and I believe it. But I still feel depressed. Well, remember what Jesus said to his disciples at the beginning? He said, in this world you will have trouble. But his next words were this. The very next words are, take heart, have courage. I have overcome the world. That's a really rousing statement. We're going to talk about what that means. In the lifeless reality of depression, you may feel helpless. You may feel angry and bitter that everything you've tried hasn't come to anything. And you may feel so low, you may think, I can't muster up the energy to do anything. But even in depression, you have choices. For one thing, you have the choice of whether to seek and accept professional help. That's the first thing. I'm talking about a doctor, a medical doctor, or a spiritual counselor, or a psychological counselor. And you may say, well, you know, all right, but I don't even know where to start to find somebody like that. Okay, okay, let me give you a suggestion. Talk to a pastor. Now, all pastors aren't counselors, and you don't want to go to all pastors for counseling, but many are. And if you don't go to a counselor, a pastor for counseling, you can at least ask a pastor to help you find a doctor or a counselor. And then the second choice you have is, will you accept that professional's advice? When you see a doctor and he prescribes, he or she prescribes antidepressants, will you try them? And if the first prescription doesn't work, will you try the second one the doctor gives you? Because this stuff takes time. Will you try the behavior modification a doctor or a therapist might suggest? Or talk therapy or some other therapies? Because think about it, logically speaking, you have those choices, and in your depression, you're going to make those choices one way or the other. Yes or no. But what I like is you have another choice. 
Even when you're counseling, even when you're taking antidepressants, even when you're doing all the stuff, it's still persisting. You have the other choice, and it's far more significant than those choices. In the darkness of depression, you have the choice of whether you will trust yourself or God. And let me tell you, in the darkness, every time I trust God, well, what trusting God for what? what? What are you talking about? Well, I want to be really clear here. Now get your listening ears on, as they say in kindergarten. Get your listening ears on. Trusting God does not guarantee a quick cure. And trusting God doesn't even guarantee alleviation of symptoms. Rather, trusting God, whether it's in depression or any other time, simply means believing Him. Believing God. Individuals who suffer depression may be religious or they may not. And trusting God will have different implications in those two cases. For people who have never trusted God before, but are thinking, maybe I'll try that now that I'm really struggling with depression, that would be the beginning of a relationship that has eternal implications. But if you're already trusting God for your eternal salvation, trusting Him in the midst of depression ushers in a whole new dimension of trust. So what does it mean to trust God in the dark? What does it mean to trust God in the dark? Trusting God in the dark means trusting or continuing to trust that God is. For many people, that's like the biggest leap of all. Why would we trust that God is? Because he says so. I know, that sounds circular. Hold on. God calls himself the I am. So in order to trust that God is, it's necessary that we trust that God's word is true. God doesn't just tell the truth or stand for truth. God is the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And because we trust God's word, if we will trust God's word, which is trusting that God is, we can trust that God can see and hear us even when we can't see and hear him, even when he is hidden, even when he is what they call the obscure God, trusting that God sees you and he hears you even when he is hidden because God loves you. Even when you can't see it, you're not feeling it, you're not getting it. Comprehensively, God loves you. And that means that God is always working for your good. Now see, believe me, in the dark room, depression feels almost like sensory deprivation. You're thinking, I'm not seeing it. I'm not hearing it. I'm not getting any sense of it. It's not an experience to me. Trust it. Trust it. Just keep breathing. Just keep breathing. You don't have to do anything else. Just keep breathing and trusting. Because God is working to give you the strength to endure and the hope to hold on as he shapes and fashions life in you. Now make no mistake, trusting God is an act of faith. It isn't a matter of being convinced. It's a matter of coming to the end of yourself and thinking, well, I can't do this any longer. It's either out or God. And if it's God, you can be sure it doesn't mean you're going to get immediate results, but it does mean that when Jesus overcame the world, he did a real thing 
And it is a thing that we can rest our lives on now and forever. So the next question is, what did he do? And how do we rest in it? Well, two things. First of all, when Jesus willingly went to the cross and died for our sins, he overcame the power of sin. The power that sin has to dominate our lives and enslave us and the power that sin has to separate us from God. Jesus said, no, enough of that. So you and I can be free of the guilt of our sins and we can come into relationship with God because Jesus overcame sin. But I think sometimes we shortchange the second miracle. Jesus not only overcame sin, he overcame death. When Jesus walked out of his tomb, alive by the power of the Spirit of God, he overcame death. And that means Jesus won the right for us to have the gift of eternal life, knowing the only God and Jesus, his Son. As Jesus was preparing his disciples for his death, he told them how they were going to get that gift. So like, where is it? How, how can I get it? How do I get that? Well, listen, these are Jesus' words. He says, I am going away, but I will send you a comforter, an advocate, the Holy Spirit. We don't talk enough about the Holy Spirit. To be with you and in you. And he was speaking collectively and individually there. Look at the Greek. He's speaking to individual Christians as well as the church. The Holy Spirit will be with you and in you. You need never be alone, Jesus is implying. You need never wonder what is true. You need never feel hopeless because the Spirit is the Holy One who communicates truth. He's the Holy One who conceives new life. The Bible says Jesus was conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the conceiver of new life. And he is the one who grows new life in all who will trust God. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. If you know the Nicene Creed, the Nicene Creed says the Lord, the giver of life. That's who the Holy Spirit is. The good news is that when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, he didn't just send him down here so we would have company in our misery. He didn't send the Holy Spirit just to be a powerless presence in the dark. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit because the seed unfurls into life in the darkness. Rebirth and transformation into the image of God is a struggle. But the Holy Spirit empowers us for that struggle. No matter whether we're depressed or not. You sometimes hear people say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I despise that statement. I hate a half-truth. Just go ahead and lie. That's a half-truth. Depression doesn't make you stronger. It just makes you depressed. Let's just get that straight. In the dark, the only thing that can make you stronger is the Lord God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And be assured that even though you are down and waiting and waiting and waiting under the burden of depression by his great mercy and grace the Lord God overcomes death and is making new life grow in you so how can you and I exercise trust in God when we're depressed or any other time first of all talk to him cry out to God we call that praying I just call it talking to God screaming at God. If you've never screamed at God, you haven't lived. I'm not kidding. And here's what I know from Scripture. The Lord can take it. 
He invites it. Don't act like you've got to just be religious. And, and here's the other thing. The writer of the psalm, Psalm 88 that we're looking at today, says he prays every day, every morning, day and night. Think about it. He prays fervently. He says, God, hear me. Look at me. Restore me to love. Receive me. Save me. Pray what you want from God. He'll correct your wants if he wants to. And when you can't think of your own prayer words or you don't feel like coming up with them, pray the words of Scripture. Just open the Bible to the Psalms and pray those words. That's legitimate. God hears them. And the second thing is, listen to God. Take into your mind and heart. You think, well, I I don't know how to listen to God. Yes, you do. Get the Bible and memorize Scripture. Take into your mind and into your heart. Feed yourself on the Word of God. It will nourish you. I can't tell you. Last week when Eric was saying the words of Psalm 46, this might not have meant anything to you, but he said them, and I just felt like shouting, yes, because I cannot tell you how many times I have recited the words of Psalm 46 to myself when I was depressed near death. The Lord God is our strength and fortress. We will not fear, though the earth shakes and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is within her. She will not fail. God is with her at break of day. Hallelujah. If you don't know that psalm, memorize another one. And if you can't memorize scripture, memorize godly songs or parts of the liturgy. Did you notice that at the beginning of this sermon, I didn't give you the points? That's not because I'm not one of the boys. I know how to do that. (laughs) It's because, it's because that's the way depression is. You can't see the end of depression from the beginning. You don't know where it's going to take you. You don't know how long it's going to last. But what we can know is this. All of us are going to have dark days. And some of us are going to have a whole lot of them. But in those dark days, we can be absolutely sure. We can take heart. God does not ignore our sorrows. He hears our prayers. And his word responds. Here's the image that's holding me strong today. In the darkness, we can rest because God has given us himself who is the light of the world, our Savior, our guide, and our friend. Thanks be to God. Amen.